Okay, we are going to be going through Job. So let's uh, let's turn there. Uh, turn to Job, and um, I'm going to do a little bit of intro here. Uh, don't know how deep we want to go into some of the intro, um, but. Um, There is, uh, what are, I should say this, what are the theories of the book of Job, if you've heard any? Ever heard of some of the ideas, or different ideas about the book of Job? Okay. When, the, the setting and when? There are questions about whether it actually happened, right? Uh, is Job a fictional account, like an allegory, like a parable? Um, so a lot of people, because it's grouped in um, the poetical section, right, with Psalms and Proverbs and things like that, kind of view it as a poetical. In fact, there is some, uh, some view as to the fact that it might have been Solomon who composed it. Um, we'll look at some of that. Uh, what might in this book suggest that it's only poetical? And you think about some of the things in the book of Job that might suggest that it's poetical. Let's turn to Job chapter 1. And we'll, we'll begin. I'll, I'll read down. Just, we're going to go through uh, the first couple of verses here. Uh, which are big verses. <laughs> there was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job, and the man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God is shunned evil. He had seven sons, three daughters were born to him, and his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that his, this man was the greatest in the people of the East. His sons would go and feast in their houses, each on their appointed day, and they would send and invite their sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was that when the days of feasting would end, that Job would send and then sanctify them. He would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of everybody. And Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And so Job did regularly. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came in among them. And Satan said to, uh, the Lord said to Satan, where are you coming from? So Satan said to the Lord, from going to and fro upon the earth, from walking back and forth on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, and one who fears God and shuns evil? Uh, so Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him? around his household, around everything he has on his side, on, on every side. And you've blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch your hand and touch everything he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that is in your power, all that he has is in your power. Just do not lay a hand on him personally. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So is there anything in here that you might look at and see that how some people interpret this as an allegory. Job himself would not know what was happening in heaven. Okay. So so the whole conversation in heaven, how does Job know this, right? Um, 
So that seems, or how would anybody for that matter know that this is what's going on? So the whole story kind of seems like a fairy tale story, right? if, if I was looking at it like that. Um, it's not in first person. It's no. It's written, it's written as an account by somebody else. So it's not even, a very few people suggest that this was written by Job, unless we look at the way the book of John was written in third person, even when it was talking about John. Um, he mentions himself in third person, so that could be a, a thing, you know, by way of humility, a lot of people did that. Uh, some people look at the numbers here. Everything is even numbers, right? Oh, he has this many thousands of camels. And, and some people even look at, uh, some people love the numerology and look at the seven sons and three daughters. Ooh, the magical numbers. And, um, and then, of course, even at the end of the life, uh, he has seven sons and three daughters. God restores to him the same exact numbers. What's the likelihood of that? And, and his possessions, otherwise, are perfectly doubled. Uh, so, so a lot of people suggest. Now, this is all, of course, what we would call circular logic. Uh, there's nothing about having seven sons and three daughters that prevents God from giving you the exact same number. Right? Um, it, that is a possibility, so that doesn't prove anything. Also, if God wishes to bless you uh, in even numbers or twice the amount, that's up to God right, to do. So that's all circular logic. I want to look at the fact that uh, Job was a historical person. What, would, what, what do we know that would suggest that Job is a historical person? Do we know anything? He had traditions. Okay. There's a lot of details given about him. One of them is what? There is no exact time frame. It doesn't lock him into, he was around by King so-and-so. Yeah, that, so that's difficult. It would be, it would be nice. And we, we, we can start to, we can guess his rough place in history. Not exactly, we can. Um, but uh, we, we can't pinpoint it. Um, and we'll go through that. But that Job was a historical person. We can be fairly assured. First of all, it gives... Um, his location. Right? So it, that would, if I was telling a parable, I wouldn't necessarily give a man's location. That seems like a, a detail that's not necessary in a parable. Also, the fact that both Ezekiel and James mention him as a historical person in other inspired writers that were known um, believe him to be a historical person. Living, I mean, certainly Ezekiel living much closer, you know, under the Old Testament, maybe not close, you know, still a couple thousand years away from him in time, but um, through, they, they didn't have the idea that he was, uh, that he was fictitious. He actually spoke with God, which makes me think he's more in the patriarchal Okay, so the speaking with God. We're going to get, yes, exactly. Uh, his age, everything is going to point to, uh, to a patriarchal type of, uh, of a time frame. In fact, it's largely believed that Job is the first book of the Bible ever written, which is kind of interesting. And how did it ever get to be a part of our 
you know, the Hebrew Bible, um, since it's not written under the time, you know, we think of Moses writing the first five books. Uh, but this is apparently a book that already existed. Maybe Moses put it down and he knew the stories. or We have no idea, but yeah. It also says that he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. So okay. that would be something that you could verify. Okay, so he's giving, he's giving facts that at that time people would be able to verify. Um, you know, that, that's always you know what they say. Uh, uh, good liars can give details, but the best don't. <laughs> Uh, you, you don't want to give too many details that, that can lead to fact-checking, right? So, um, so uh, we're also, there's one other thing in here, and this is going to help not only verify Job as real, but also start to help us pinpoint the book, and that is that a little bit of, not, not detailed, but a little bit of the genealogy of the prophet Elihu is given. So that's, again, a, not only a detail, but uh, it's, it's going to um, help us kind of give the rough time frame. So let's look at the author because we don't know who the author is. There's Solomon, etc., etc. Um, but I do want to turn, I, I think this is uh, interesting. Uh, Job chapter 32, verse 7. So we, we mentioned Elihu, and this at the end is where we were introduced to him. <clears throat> Job 32 um, and verse 7. Uh, Actually, let's back up to verse 6. So Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, answered and said, I am young in years, and you are very old. Therefore, I was afraid, and I dared not declare my opinion to you. I said, age should speak, and multitude of years should teach wisdom. And he goes on and so forth. And so here, Elihu seems to be speaking of himself in first person, which might give us an indication that Elihu, the prophet, was the man who wrote this, that he's a younger man, and we know the story. He's been kind of sitting off watching this conversation continue um, between these older men, and, uh, and then he steps in. So it's, it's possible that Elihu... Now I want to look back up in the same chapter, 32, verse 2. He says, Then the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite of the family of Ram... This is not Ram of the lineage of, um, Ram is uh, one of the people um, from the line of Judah. This is a different Ram, and we would know that because of the general family. Uh, the family Ram was aroused against Job. Um, and so uh, Buzz, or Booz, however his name is pronounced, is the nephew of Abraham, if we go back. Uh, I believe Nah one of Nah I think it's Nahor's second son. Um, so, um, so if Buzz comes, buzzes that son, and then so, however long it takes to uh, between when you're a, a per, you, to go from a person to being a clan with a name, they put the ites on like to go from Amalek to the Amalekites or from. 
Israel to the Israelites. It's about three or four generations back then. So if we look at that, we can um, suggest then approximately that time. So we're talking about the grandson or so of, um, of Abraham's age, kind of in that. So that would be uh, around Jacob, somewhere in that. The age will also verify the the Bible tell, or Job tells us at the end, or we don't know his age, but we know that he was kind of an older man when Elihu. That's why Elihu didn't speak. He he didn't want to interrupt the older men as they were talking. It was out of respect. So he's a younger man. Uh, we know that Job has. 10 adult children, so there's some time frame in there. So he could be 70, 80 years old, you know. And then the Bible does tell us that after God restored him, after this whole period, however long that took, was he lived another 140 years. That tells us right there that he didn't write, Job didn't write the book. This is somebody writing after Job has died and, and putting everything, closing this off. Um, <clears throat> so... That would put him around 200 years old, 210, something like that, which is about how old Abraham's father lived. Um, so somewhere, and, and um, Jacob lived 150 years. So, so we're right in that time frame. That's, that's approximately where we're at. And to get it any more detailed than that would be, I think, kind of pointless to try to argue. But, but that's the time frame. So, so like you said... Uh, we are in the patriarchal age. So um, I want to talk about the setting and the person of Job. Now that we've got some of that out of the way, uh, we don't, as we say, know his age. We know that he's from the land of Uz. Uh, just, I guess, one more detail. Ptolemy tells us that this is somewhere between Babylon um, and uh what we would call uh, Idumea. Idumea is where the Herods are from. It's south of Jerusalem. So it's somewhere in this Arabian desert. Um, So that's, again, uh, his estate is, what would you say of his estate? (laughs) The guy is rich beyond... um, uh, just beyond I mean, uh, thousands and thousands of livestock. I mean, uh, what doesn't he own? That's interesting. There's something important that he doesn't own among all his livestock. Doesn't mention property. Okay, he doesn't mention property, so he might have been nomadic. Uh, with all those, with all those, with all that livestock, he lar- he likely would have been um, to to graze them. Yes. However, it talks about his sons and daughters feasting in a house, right? Because the walls come down on them, so they did. So, so they they had permanent dwellings. So he, I mean, he likely had a permanent dwelling, and then had tents, and you know, and they would wander with with all their their herds. Correct. Um, you notice he doesn't own horses. Why wouldn't he own horses? I mean, you got camels, you got donkeys, you got oxen. Why wouldn't you own horses? 
I mean, they had horses in Arabia. <laughs> Okay. Solomon had tons of them. Army. Hmm? His army. Okay. Well, rich people had their own army. Abraham had his own army. <laughs> right? He went out and defended and helped the king. <clears throat> Without horses. Horses were an unclean animal. Uh, they, they didn't have a split hoof. Right? Split hoofs were clean animals. And uh, so, what's that? I thought it was the other way around. No, no, cows, cows, have, cows were clean, right? Don't, don't cows have a cloven hoof? Okay, I'm not, a, I'm not an agriculture guy, so I'm just kind of, but, but horses don't, horses were unclean. Uh, so, um, that was kind of one of the things that God was upset with Solomon over, was the multiplying of horses. Um, so it seems as though he's kind of got an idea of some moral concepts. And, and, and kosher law, even though Moses' law isn't here, that was, I mean, even at the flood, there was an identification. We don't have it given, but they already understood the concept of clean and unclean animals. Right? Uh, Noah was told to take seven of, unclean, uh, of clean animals so, so they already had that identified. We don't necessarily have that recorded, but they did. So, so we get the idea that, that he's carried some of this. What, what else do we know about his character? He was very devout. Okay, he was devout. How do we know that? Okay, his offering for his children. He was acquainted. But what is interesting about what he offered and, and why? It was a just-in-case sacrifice. <laughs> just-in-case. Just in I mean, that is the degree of virtue that's in that kind of a sacrifice. To, to, to look at people who, you know, under Moses' law, they were, what is the bare minimum that we can get away with? You know, and all throughout, and he had the opposite. He's like, I want to make, there's these two views of, of virtue, and one is, what do I have to do to get by? And, and, and then the other side of that is, what do I have to do to make sure I get by. Uh, how, what is, you know, I, I want to make sure I'm doing the maximum, not the minimum, but the maximum. And so he's going, he's not, ah, they probably didn't. They're good kids. You know, he's not, there's a chance that they might have been, you know, drinking a little bit too much and got a little rowdy and said something they shouldn't have. I'm going to offer a sacrifice. You know, they're kids. Uh, I'm going to offer a sacrifice just in case. Uh, that, is, that is, to me, impressive. Um, and I think we see a similar character even in Abraham. That we talk, the Bible talks about Abraham's faith. Well, these are, you know, possibly even re, you know related. I don't know. Um, we have no idea. Um, but but possibly knew each other, or if the families knew each other. I mean, so I think that is 
That's interesting. Um, what else do we know about his character? Maybe as seen in his family. Do you see anything in his family that shows you his character? Well, they still did things together. Mm. I mean, why did them over? They take turns at, the, at, at who's going to host their religious festivals. Just go a few generations into the future and see the infighting among family members. I mean, a couple hundred years, and it's completely different. You have people killing each other for the throne and whatnot. It's just, it's night and day. That says something about the man who raised them. Um, what is another thing that might account for that? Just from the story of Job as you know it. Is there anything else from that story that might account for the closeness? Well, it's like God has blessed them in every way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and rightfully so, but it's always easy to get along when things are going well. Okay, so, so that's, that is Satan's accusation. We're going to explore that a little bit. Uh, it is easy to... to you know, they don't seem to have the hardships. But I just, I kind of draw the connection. The diff, what's the difference between uh, Jacob's family and Job's family? One big... Okay, you're on the right track. What's the big difference that creates that? He only had one wife. One wife. One family. No rivalries for this or that. Now they don't have that, that jealousy. Well, you like my mom better, and they don't have that. Amazing how if we just kind of went back to Genesis and saw what God made and kind of copy what God made, how better things go. Uh, so um, another thing about his character, it opens with a statement, and, and God repeats it. To, to Satan, um, specifically about Job's character. What is Job's character? Blameless. And upright. upright. Want to look at, was Job sinless? No. no. So what's the difference? He feared God. Okay, he feared God. Is there a difference between sinless and blameless? Or are they perfect synonyms? And then we'll look at sinless versus upright. When you see that you've done something wrong, then you make it right. Okay. So, so the, the idea of trying to fix things, um, and that, I think, goes into the uprightness, the justice, and the, uh, that, the conscience of things. Um, that has more to do with being upright and blameless. The difference, as I understand it, between blameless and sinless. Sinless is without guilt. Okay? It has to do with just the simple fact of the matter. You've got guilt, whether or not you know it. But blameless has to do with whether you can be blamed for something. In other words, it has to do with your intent. Right? I'm... A kid can do something wrong, and in a sense, you go, I uh, can't really blame him. 
he didn't know the rules or he didn't know the danger. He didn't know that. So in a, limited t- in a time of limited knowledge, doing the best he could, Job was a blameless man. It didn't mean he never sinned. It just meant he had a very limited view of what God expected at that time. There's no law. There's nothing. And he, and he did the best. He was blameless. No one could say, you know, you did this. He, it's what the Bible talks about, you know, basically being judged on their conscience with what they know of virtue. He was blameless. No one could accuse him of something because the people who could have accused him don't know either. <laughs> That's not been revealed for anybody. So, Jason, you be blamed if you make things right, though. I suppose you could. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if if uh, if I if I rob money from a bank, I'm going to jail. Even if I give the money back, I'm not. I don't get to keep it. You know. Uh, so so yeah. Um, uh, so it has to do with your intent, I think. Um, so we want to get into uh, the conversation. The conversation between God and Satan. Let's first look at Satan. Um, what we're going to find out is that, surprisingly enough, Job is an incredible book of doctrine. It's amazing in its theology for being the first book of the Bible. We think of the the books of the Bible having this very vague ideas and getting more complex, but the book of Job is incredible in its theology. So Satan is presented before God. What does that tell us? First of all, who are the sons of God? He comes in with the sons of God. Who are the sons of God? Angels. Angels. What does that tell me about him? He's below the angels because they present himself. So, so he's at least one of the angels. He comes in with them. Now, I don't know what order or rank, but the Bible seems to say he's pretty important. I don't know if, you know, obviously it would seem that he's been demoted to some degree. Um, but it tells me that he is an angel. Uh, the Old Testament uses the phrase, the sons of God, as a reference to angels, not men. Right? That's important. Um, and he comes as one of them, at least in his being. I don't know about rank or whatever. That, I'm not going to get into that. Um, but it says, there came a day when they presented themselves. What does that suggest to me? What, what, what's interesting about that? It's like they don't live together, like in one big cappy. Yeah, we just think about people just opening the door. Hey, God, I'm here. Nope. You make an appointment. Um, you don't, you have a 430 today. You know, you don't just walk in. Here's a day. However, that day is determined. Satan didn't just go, I'm here, God, I need to argue with you, right? Um, He came in when he had an opportunity. Why is that important in identifying Satan? I think it tells, you know, that Satan is under God's authority. Okay. We look at Satan so often as, like, Luke Skywalker versus Darth Vader. You know, I mean, that's kind of the view a lot of people have, where it's opposites. Satan is not the opposite of God. Satan is 
subordinate. And he doesn't get to come in unless God says, okay, you can come in. He has no more right to come in than the lowest of the angels. He doesn't have that right to just march in. Now, it does tell me that he had the ability to march in. So, so the idea that he's cast down to the earth forever and things like that that we get into in the New Testament, whatever that is, that hasn't happened yet. He has the ability to come in in whatever realm and however that is, he has the ability to do that. Uh, so, so I think that is interesting. Uh, so he's subordinate uh, is the first theological statement that we, we find about Satan. Um, what's the next statement? God says, where are you coming from? And he says what? Roaming around the earth. Okay, I've been going to and fro. What does that tell me about Satan? Looking for something. Okay, he's looking for something. Even, even before that. Yeah, he's, he's, the Bible talks about him um, like a roaring lion walking around seeing whom he may devour. He's always, always looking for something, and it's not good. <laughs> he cannot be everywhere at once. He has to walk to and fro. God doesn't have to walk to and fro on the earth answering people's prayers. This idea that Satan is omnipresent and... Uh, this is important because we get this idea of temptation and we think of Satan putting te- all these temptations in my mind. Listen, there's billions of people on the earth and they're all around. Satan isn't accountable for all of those things. I don't even know if he could put something in my mind. We are so quick to blame Satan for everything. when a lot of it starts right up here and I need no help. Right. And And... Satan can't be everywhere tempting everybody. Otherwise, he's God, only bad God. He doesn't have that ability. I think it's interesting we either blame God or we blame Satan. Right. It's always somebody else's fault. It's God did it to me or Satan made me do it or or whatever. Now, um, certainly Satan has angels and people who can assist him and, and work by proxy. And, and maybe we can do, you know, attribute some to that. But, but Satan isn't, he's, he's not that powerful. I mean, he's powerful compared to us. We're, we're, we're nothing compared. But he's not that powerful. So let's not give him that kind of credit. Trust me, he loves that kind of credit. Right? He is the definition of narcissistic. Um, Right and 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 boom. Do what you want. So 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 God God's answer to that. We're going to get into this this little conversation that they have. Just that state. Just God speaking prohibits him from doing something. Just think about it. Don't touch it. Right? I guess that's off limits. Right. That's that is power that you can speak and that's. Okay, that, that, that door's closed. That's amazing. That's, that's raw power. And Satan doesn't got it. Apparently Satan feared that statement. Either feared it or it was a direct... Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm sure you're saying, tell your children not to do this. And 
Yeah, right. <laughs> That's like, don't do what? Now I'm interested. Right? Um, so we, we get into this conversation between uh, Job and, and Satan. We've really covered a lot of this. Um, but God asks him, where are you going? from going to and fro on the earth. And then what the, what's God's next question? Have you considered my servant Job? Mm. Uh, that's, a, that's amazing. Have you considered my servant Job? It's important. God brings it up. Satan doesn't. I, I, that's, that to me is powerful. For a number of reasons, um, and 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 so Job's answer is kind of what what Andy is saying. Well, that's easy. You made it all easy for him. You haven't given him any. <laughs> you haven't given him any obstacles to challenge you. See, and I've always considered that as Job's, Job was is always by himself from a standpoint of there are no other good people. Yeah. You know, and. And as I was sitting here, yeah. I'm thinking, okay, there are other good people, uh, upright people, but Job stands out. And Job stands Job's out. Closest to where the, the challenge is set up, but I can't believe Job is the only person. No, because, because we have other people that we know of in this time frame that are, that are upright people. You know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, I mean... That's only one family, but if we now have two families in, in the rough same time span, right? Uh, Melchizedek, right? We can, we can, well, wait a second. We can start looking at some, some people that live in this time frame, and we don't even have that much knowledge of people. Hammurabi lives around this time. They had a moral code. I'm not saying they were great people, but they kind of were in the idea of we need a moral code. There, there's a lot of people, um, I think, that probably were. There was a lot of people that weren't. <laughs> so, Probably um, more that weren't than were. Obviously, that that I think is the general rule of humanity that there's more bad than good. But I think this, oh. I think this speaks to Job's character too, in that God had told him he knew that if he was tested, he could come through. Okay. And that was the next thing I was going to get to. God knew. God was betting on, on Job. And that tells me something else about Satan. Another limit of Satan. Can't he cannot foresee the future. He gambled wrong. And Job made some mistakes in all of this events of this, of this book. But he never cursed God. And that was, that was where Satan's chips were on. He will curse you to your face. Never happened. One thing I think is interesting, which I guess I've never really like, thought of before. So Satan's on the earth, roaming around, looking for people to mess with, probably. And when God says, have you considered my servant Job? <clears throat> Satan knew immediately who Job was. Yeah. So he probably said, "Yeah, I would like to mess with yeah. you, but 
God put this head around him, so I just won't. Yeah. So that, God asks him about it, then, yeah, he says. That's an incredible point. I, I never really thought about that, that Job was such a character that he stood out even to Satan. You know, I... I you're aware of who your opposites in, in that sense are, who, who poses great threat to what you're trying to accomplish. You're aware of those people, your rivals. Not that, again, not that they're equal. I mean, they're not equal just like Satan and God aren't equal. But who poses a threat to you in some way, you're aware of. Uh, so, so Satan was aware of Job. Um, so now, looking at some of these thoughts, and we haven't even gone through everything yet, how does the date of Job does it does it kind of surprise you? Looking at how early it is and how much theology there is, is it, it's kind of like wow. There's a lot more in, than it just this kind of light, fluffy story about a guy who suffered. the The book of Job is not about a guy who suffered. It, it, it's using the story of a guy who suffered to bring out some deep points about God and about man and about sin and about Satan and all the things going on in the universe. It, it, it's, it's almost like if you think of the first three chapters of Genesis, it's kind of like that, but in a completely different form. Right? It's, the, it's the identity of man and the identity of God and, and the introduction of Satan and, and sin and all of this, but it's in a completely different form. It's re- very, very theolog- theological. Uh, so is this possible for this? We talked about, is this conversation real? Did this really happen? Uh, or was it just an allegory? Well, is it impossible for this conversation to have taken place? No. <laughs> There's nothing in this conversation or in the events of Job that, that make this theologically impossible. There's nothing that would contradict, in other words... A scripture. So we would have to assume that it's okay until proven otherwise. There's no need for me, in other words. Now, a lot of people love to doubt first and be proven, you know, prove that it's okay. That's not the way things work. Um, it's safest to assume that it's what it says it is until there's something that demands that it be interpreted. As an allegory, it reads kind of like a story, though. It you does. Mention that because once upon a time, the land right, right, was, right. there was a man named sure. Job, and then verse six or whatever it is, it's like um, one day the angels came to present right. themselves. Right, and, kind of like a fairy tale. Sure, <laughs> and that there are a lot of things that can attribute to that, and one can be simply the writing style of the time and place in which it was written. Well, the birth of Jesus was kind of the same way. Yeah, the birth of Jesus. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, uh, there, there are a lot of stories that, that start that way. Um, and, and they're not all, you know, not all books are written like a dry textbook. You know? So well, thank, thank goodness. stinks in and of itself. I mean, here's a guy that's doing everything right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's, we don't have the whole history. We kind of have it compressed. And, and, and maybe, maybe that's why it's, it's kind of it's summarized so shortly that that we get this kind of story feel to it. You know, if we if we had the, all the details, it probably would feel more real. 
But you got to realize context of time. Context of time is when you got sick, you didn't go to the hospital. Right. <laughs> they thought this was demon possession. They thought it was you did something wrong, you sinned. Then they used, you know, a lot of people went to seances, you know. To sure. Well. And, and a basic matter is what he's showing you here is, is no, it's got nothing to do with a spiritual aspect down below that if you get sick, you could get sick just because you got sick yeah. and you need to deal with it and it might not have nothing to do with the spiritual aspect that your father sinned or your parents right, sinned. Right, right, right. And that's what he's taking because Job was a guy that had no, basically, you know, didn't cross God and was a good thing, but yet he, you know, so it's pointing out that, you know, hey, get rid of this, you know, thoughts that, you know, because somebody is ill or has a bad life, they're spiritually, they're bad. Right. That, that's an incredible point that of, of, of heroes. We get into... Uh, the implications of this, that spiritually, the idea that you're, you're sick because you did something bad or your parents did something bad. Job, in the first opening verses of the oldest book in our, uh, the oldest inspired book, throws Calvinism out the window. How incredible is that? The apostles asked him, who sinned? Who sinned? This, this man or his parents? parents. So it that he was born blind, which is completely... <laughs> this man sinned and before he was born. That makes no sense. But that was their superstition. And there's no cause and effect. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like a formula that you can say, well, because somebody did this or didn't do this, that this is the character of God. Because he says, I will have mercy on him. I will have mercy on him. Yep. So, uh, just to leave you with, and we'll, we'll kind of pick up in this uh, uh, oh, next week because we're kind of running out, is uh, just to leave us with something applicable. We've got a lot of theology video. I want to leave us with something that's applicable to me. And that is, I mean, God was pretty brave to slide his chips in on Job. That's some confidence. I wonder frequently how this conversation would go if I was the subject of it. <laughs> I think it might go different. I think God might be gone. Maybe not. Maybe not that guy. <laughs> Maybe I'll pick this guy over here. That's you know. And and here I here I am with with the scriptures, and here I am with so much more knowledge and all the theological things that I have at my hands that Job didn't. And I feel like I might not be the guy that, even with all those advantages, that, that God would say, have you considered my servant Andrew? I don't think I would be that guy. Um, so that is a sobering thought. I, I try to, whenever I think of this, you know, put myself in those situations and, and think about that. Right now, would God say it? Satan, watch this. This guy's going to make it through this temptation or through this difficulty. Um, and that's uh, an application that I tried to take with myself. We'll close.